the more you play with people, the more you get used to their position, you get used to their movements, and obviously you build chemistry. Did it take long to build the chemistry with Shane Walsh then? No, didn't take long at all. <laughs> Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger you and I'd kick your ass. <laughs> My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGill in his life. And this is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John, Duggan with you through until five. You can text us 53106. We're streaming the conversation as well, folks. You can listen across the country on your radio and news talk, but also watch us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on the O2B Sports app, digitally and socially. This is the Saturday panel, the first of the year. Happy New Year to you all. And by the end of this year, 2023, we'll have a lot to reflect upon. A Rugby World Cup, a Women's Football World Cup, the Premier League conclusion, the Champions League final, the All-Ireland Series, hurling, Football, camogie, ladies football, whether Irish golf's got major winners in the circle and hopefully a fight at Croke Park between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. A good time to look ahead. Always good at this time of year. We're going to do that over the next hour. In studio, delighted to be joined by Roy Curtis of the Sunday World and the former Irish team basketball captain and coach, Timmy McCarthy. Roy and Timmy, happy new year to you both. And to you, John, you're looking fresh and well. Well, you know, that's, happy new year, John. that's good to the see dry you. January, lads. That's the dry January. February beckons. Yes. Maybe March. <laughs> are you in the dry January, Timmy? Uh, uh, yes. Good man. And you are away as well. The batteries ran a little flat over yeah, yeah. Christmas. You were at John. 5% and you had to plug it in. I think I was at minus 5% <laughs> at the end. <laughs> also joined on the line by the accredited sports psychologist and broadcaster, Maura Trassi-Nikali. Maura Trassi, a happy new year to you. Hi, guys. How are you all doing? Hi, Maura Trassi. Maura Trassi, I'm delighted to see you still have the tree in the background. I tell you, I was going to take it down last night and I said to myself, no, do you know what? This is a brand new Christmas tree. I bought this this year to have a kitchen Christmas tree. And I said, no, I'm going to show it off one more day. So the tree comes <laughs> down this weekend, but January's long enough. So technically, yes, you can all like the man was yesterday. But I mean, who's going to give out to me for a little bit of joy for another day, you know? Is it a real tree, Maura Trasson? No, I actually bought it in, um, you can take the girl out of Galway, but you can't take Galway out of the girl. I bought it from um, McDonough's Hardware in Galway and I got it <laughs> delivered and I got the baubles and everything. I just said to myself, I just wanted a nice tree that kind of matched. And that's probably the most female thing I'll ever talk about, which is uh, aesthetics of Christmas trees. But um, yeah, I bought it in the middle of November and uh, his, himself came home and he's like, it's not even December yet. And I was like, just let me have my joy. So <laughs> my Supporting joy local business as well. I'm delighted to hear that. Um, <laughs> so fair play to you and, and a nice one. We're going to just kick this off and get straight into it because there's always a bit of fun and listeners out there can contribute as well on 53106 on the text machine and the cost of 30 cent. The Rugby World Cup. We have this hoodoo in this country that Ireland have never reached the last four or the final or won the Rugby World Cup since 1987, since the first one. Roy Curtis, September, October. I'm looking at this, right? So we got the champions in Africa, Scotland, Tonga, Romania. We play Romania, then Tonga, then the Springboks in successive weeks. Then we got a two-week break to Scotland. That looks pretty favourable. A quarterfinal will be against either the host France or New Zealand. What constitutes success for Ireland at the Rugby World Cup? Minimum semi-final. Right. Minimum. I think... We just had a football World Cup which followed a narrative of Lionel Messi and can he get over the line. Yeah, This is obviously Johnny Sexton's farewell to arms, one of the all-time greats. Yeah, And our faith is so inextricably linked to his fitness, 
and to how he can stay there to lead that team. Yeah. History tells us that's going to be very tough. Recent history. His own courage, his tackling technique, his age, the mileage on the clock, trying to stay fit. We're talking now, one of the big stories is who's going to be the understudy. Is it Joey Carberry? Is it Jack Crowley? The reality is there remains a huge gap. And I think how Ireland fair will be based on Sexton conducting that orchestra. It is really, really a black mark for all that Ireland have been rugby world number one this time, for all that they were four years ago. A record at the World Cup, which which is a global minority sport, a record at the World Cup is abysmal. There is no other way of addressing it. We have achieved great things between World Cup cycles. We get very self-congratulatory at times. We beat New Zealand this year in New Zealand. Huge achievement. Where does it rate relative to the real asset test? If majors are the asset test for golfers, if we're going to measure Rory McIlroy, how he fares this year in the majors, not whether he's world number one, the same has to apply to this rugby team. The fact that that Scotland and um, South Africa pool games are two weeks apart, I think is a huge help. Yeah. Um, do I see us beating South Africa at a World Cup when they're fully charged? I think it will take an immense effort. And recent World Cups tell us games like Scotland can be tripwires. I'm not saying they will be. I think we've advanced beyond that. I think the team under Andy Farrell, there's far more room for self-expression. It's a very happy camp. But we have seen in the games that we tried our fringe players in autumn that the depth that we thought might be there perhaps isn't. I struggle to see, I hope I'm wrong, I struggle to see us getting to a semi-final because France to me, are the world number one at the moment. I mean, Brazil are rated number one in the FIFA world rankings. Argentina are the world champions. I think France are the best team in the world. They've won every game they've played in 2022. I think New Zealand have an extraordinary pedigree at big tournaments. And I just worry about us. I really, really hope I'm wrong because I would love to see Sexton, who really is one of the great Irish sportsmen. I loved, really loved James Lowe's line of him, affectionately calling him a psychopath. He drives standards. He's cranky. He's a leader. He's one of these people that I'd love to see go out on a high as Messi did at his World Cup. Yeah. Timmy, what about the uh, argument that in players' minds, why can't we win it if we're the number one team in the world? If we've gone down to New Zealand, they don't lose test series. We did that. Um, and as Roy said, we do everything right between World Cups. What's what's the difference between getting to a quarterfinal and a semifinal? It's still, you know, you have to try and maybe aim to get to the final. What's your assessment of how far we can go in this tournament? Is it going to be another false dawn? So if I go back to the first question, what constitutes success? Winning. It's very black and white. I mean, I know our record has been appalling. As Roy said, we have never got, you know. So getting into a final is a Pyrrhic victory then? Absolutely. It's a moral victory. And this team has gone beyond moral victories. You know, the rugby team has flattered to deceive in the big stage on many occasions. Um, you know, we win tests. I, I call tests friendly and on a programme here one day and people were unhappy. But they're friendlies. I mean, they're, I know they count for something a little bit more rugby, but they're still friendlies. The New Zealand test down there, if they win the World Cup next year, they won't be worried about the fact we beat them in, in 2022 in that sense. So for me, you know, at World Cup, it's about winning. Brazil, number one ranked team, came into the World Cup recently, the soccer, as firm favourites, looked to be the best team. There's no doubts for me, looked, watching the thing, they looked to be the best team, but they didn't win. That's failure in their world. World. So why should we have anything different? Why should we, with a team that's capable of performing, Roy's description of a global minority sport, we're ranked number one in the world, whether we are the best team or not, our opinions, but we're ranked number one. 
why should we go into that and say coming second is okay because we've never got beyond the quarterfinal? You know, we've never got to a semi-final. Why, like, why should we accept that when we have a team that on paper and on form on occasions look to have the talent to win a World Cup? Why should we accept not winning? So for me, if we don't win the World Cup, we've failed. It's black and white from that point of view. Maura Trassa, what constitutes success or failure for you with the rugby team? Oh, that's a very big question. Um, for me, I think based on the performance they've shown us in the last year in particular, I think we used to say, oh, just get beyond that quarterfinal jinx. I think it's reasonable for the Irish rugby fan to be expecting more than that, to get beyond the quarterfinal and to not even get, you know, to get beyond that stage even would be, or to not get beyond that stage would really be asking some very big questions. But then when you look kind of at the pathway that they have to get through, it's it's difficult, but I mean, it is a minority sport in this country, but it gets a hell of a lot of support, a hell of a lot of funding, and they're doing everything right as far as we can see. Now, we could be all eating our words by the end of the Six Nations, and what I just hope is that they get the balance right between performing well in the Six Nations to put some confidence into the tank, but not doing, I suppose, not getting injured. I'm not sure we have the depth maybe that the French might have. I mean... Best case scenario, like I think we're looking at beating South Africa in the group stages and then you might get the All Blacks in the quarterfinals and then you might get Australia in that semi-final, and then you're getting France in the final. And when you put it down black and white like that, you're thinking any team that can go and win all those games deserves to win the World Cup. Can the Irish team, the way they are at this moment in time, do that? I'm not sure. Okay, yes, they had their great tour uh, down in New Zealand there just before Christmas but I'm not sure they have the depth and this is where I could be wrong and the Six Nations will tell us a lot if they have the depth to counteract that kind of attrition anything is possible but I'm not sure we've seen yet that they do And more trust if I give you like one name to win the World Cup is it who is it is it France? No because they're the French I mean you can't <laughs> France could do a France you know um, for me I just think one one name to win the World Cup if I was throw one out right now I would always go back to South Africa I just think they're showing a bit better than uh, New Zealand or at the moment there's a lot of upheaval in New Zealand that, can they get their house in order in time absolutely but if I was to just go on a hunch and not knowing anything what's going on in those other camps around the around the world and not seeing how the Six Nations panned yeah. out or anything I would go South Africa I'm going France if France win the first game against New Zealand I think that sets the tone they have that schizophrenic nature. We know they've never won the tournament. They've had a couple of near misses. I think they're the best team in the world. I think DuPont elevates them and I think they'll win. I'm going to go Ireland. I'm going to get off the fence once and for all. I think that... You Why? Know, well, I believe that we've the most talent we have, you know, and accomplishes. The Johnny Sexton debate is a questionable debate. That that that's definitely a challenge in our situation. But this is our best chance to win it. There's no questions. This is our best chance to win it. Yeah, Morris Trust's point is that you have to beat all the teams, but you have to beat all the teams to win a World Cup. This is the World Cup. This is the pinnacle of your career. So, from my point of view, um, whether we get through the group as winners or second. We have a tough semi or quarterfinal anyway, irrespective. And if we get through that, we have a tough semi-final. But I do believe that if we're going to ever do it, this is the time we're going to do it. So I'm going to go stick my neck out, John. I'm going to say it's time to get off the fence and we're going to win the World Cup. Alele there, Timmy McCarthy, Ireland are going to win the Rugby World Cup. You heard it here first on Off the Ball Saturday. The Women's World Cup in July. So we're going to see, and August as well, if we get that far. So we're going to see the Republic of Ireland women's team at a first ever World Cup finals. 
Uh, Vera Pau's squad facing the hosts Australia, Olympic champions Canada and Nigeria in the group stage of a now a 32-team tournament in Australia and New Zealand. So Australia, Thursday, July the 20th, 10 a.m. Irish time in Sydney. Canada, Wednesday, July the 26th, 1 p.m. Irish time in Perth. And Nigeria, Monday, July 31st, 11 a.m. Irish time in Brisbane. So, Mauritasa, forget a moment about the football. Um, being there, this is an Italian anti for this Irish women's team. Like the global views in this tournament, oh, we always talk about Gaelic games being amazing, and it is, but it doesn't have a market outside of this country. This has a big market, this tournament. The expats will be all be at the games. It'll be more than 4% at the matches. Those of the country here that will travel, fair play to them. I hope the credit unions are being generous. And most of us will be glued on our screens. So hopefully this will be a game changer for Irish sport, for women's sport, for women's football, because this is a big, big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the recent World Cup showed us, because I know there was so much chatter about, you know, all the, I suppose, the unedifying stuff off the field that was going on in Qatar and FIFA and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this one, there there doesn't seem to be any of that. It's just good feeling. People want to go and support and they want to see good football, which in fairness, women deliver on the regular. And I think the Euros that we had last year kind of gave us a window into that and showed how exciting a women's football tournament can be and how it can put bums in seats and how people do watch and how people do get into the discussion. This is bigger again. It's the World Cup, like I said, and this is the Italian 90. And the fact that we have so many Irish out in that neck of the woods, even even for example, like I've been, obviously I'd be involved on the medical side and I see so many young Irish doctors are planning to emigrate to be out there on time because obviously that's when the year kind of finishes in medicine, kind of July, that's when people go off and start their new jobs. They're all planning, looking already to try and find tickets and they have all their sources out there already with people offering accommodation and going to grounds. And obviously the hoo-ha during the week about something like 4% of tickets have gone to the Irish fans. I mean, come on. I think we all know we'll have a bit more than 4%. Might be a bit more like Giant Stadium at 94. I'm not really, like, I'm just so looking forward to it. And I just think it's so great that we're all looking forward to this because it's a tournament that we can get our teeth into. And we're not looking forward to it in a worthy kind of way because it's the women. We're looking forward to it because this is going to be proper football and there's going to be proper discussions over who's going to win and who's going to lose. As for Ireland's point of view, getting there absolutely is a bonus. We've gotten over that now, and I think now expectations. Vera Pau's team, they've been consistently improving with every challenge they've been given. Can they keep improving over this coming year? You'd hope so. I know there's talk now about getting a really good friendly into the Aviva to kind of send them off. I really hope that happens, that they go off full of confidence. And um, who knows? I mean, an opening game against Australia, you couldn't set a higher bar. But I mean, what a better game to get uh, your teeth into. I can't wait. To me, uh, we have... A Jack Charlton-esque vibe in my mind, if, if anybody remembers the Charlton era. 1-0 wins, Finland, Slovakia, Scotland. A manager from uh, outside of Ireland, Vera Pau, forthright individual, very much believes in her system and all that kind of thing. And now the chance for the Katie McCabe's, Denise O'Sullivan's, Amber Barrett's to be on billboards around the country and for us to all be invested in this. Uh, we have a, just a doggedness about us that might give us a chance of getting out of the group, I think. It's an amazing achievement what this team has achieved. And I think that, you know, when you talk about Vera Poe and the similarity to Charlton, the similarity to me, you know, from a coaching point of view is they love their system. And whether we like it or not is, a, is just opinion. Irrelevant in a way. They love their system. I love coaches who say, this is how we're going to play. I, I really find this thing about plan B and plan C, you know, Absolute rubbish, I really believe, as a coach. I believe you set your team out, you see the talent within your team, you say, this is the best way to maximise the talent we have in front of us, and this is how we're going to play. And you stand or die by that. And if you have that conviction as a coach, in my experience, your players will buy into that conviction. And she's done that with this team because, you know, like they scraped over some, some of the line in, in, in previous situations. 
And yeah, they have a tough draw you know, Australia at home in the first game. But they're dogged, okay? They're there. That's the big thing. They're there. They deserve to be there. And you never know. It's, it's a World Cup. It's a competition. I mean, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. Like, we forget that. It's a, you know, the start of the World Cup. And they were talking about Messi losing out and, and the chance to win the World Cup. No, they recovered and eventually won it. So I think what she's done is phenomenal. I think that the fact that this Irish team is qualified is equally as big as it, the team qualifying for Italian 90. Okay? Forget the gender. We have an international team who've now, we have two teams in the summer in World Cups. We have the women's soccer team and we have the men's rugby team. That's an amazing achievement for a country of just over five million in the Republic. I think it's phenomenal success. Roy Curtis, how far do we get? I'm skeptical. I don't think we get out of the group. Yeah, I'm skeptical as well. I remember as a teenager, I was 19, I went to Euro 88. I didn't give us any chance. We were going on this jolly. Jolly, it was, it was an adventure into the unknown. We were stepping onto the international stage. We were no longer this backwater. The fact that we were there was a victory. Then we went out, Stuttgart, Ray Houghton's goal. We won that game. Tim talks about Saudi Arabia. It happened to France at, at the World Cup in 2002. I mean, looking at the, the ratings, Australia ranked 12th in the world, Canada 6th, Nigeria 45th, we're 23rd. But there is a real sense of positive momentum. And I agree totally with what Tim says. Getting there. I don't think there's much pressure. There's the pressure they'll put on themselves to be the best they can be. But there's no pressure. It won't be considered failure if they don't qualify. And I think Vera Pau is a really strong individual. She actually reminds me of her countryman, Eric Ten Hag. That sort of dogged, dour, absolute belief in what she's doing. And if she can instill that into the team, which plainly she has... I mean, this is a group of players who had to, as recently as 2017, go public in voicing the fact that the FAI were treating them like 10th class citizens. They had nothing. And they've come from that. They've established a bond through that, much like the Cork Hurlers did back in the day, when they voiced their concerns and that brought them together as a group. I think they can go out and cause a surprise. I'm sceptical whether they can go through, but I'm certainly not ruling it out. Now, Roy, Stephen Kenny, we have the Netherlands, we got France, we got Greece, we got Gibraltar in this Euros draw. I'm thinking to myself, the only thing we can hope for is to get a playoff to, through the Nations League rankings, and that's our chance to get into Germany. Am I right? You're absolutely right. But I do think it is time. Stephen has had a very favourable press. He's had a long honeymoon period. People have offered them a lot of support because they like the way he plays the, way the game. He plays yeah. the game. But ultimately, it's a results game. He can talk about a difficult draw, and it is a difficult draw. We have France at home to start. I want us to see us really having a go at France and setting the tone for the group. If you look at the groups that we qualified for World Cups and European Championships from and the opponents that we had to beat at those times, famously the Dutch in 2001 and the McAteer goal, we can talk forever about potential. We can talk about the fact that these players are developing. We can talk about the fact that the squad is young. But the squ squads permanently recede. And these guys are not going to get five, six chances at this. I think this is a huge opportunity because the teams they're playing are so good. And because there's little expectation that we can qualify. Could we sneak second? Highly unlikely. But we have to, have to finish third. Anything less. And it's all over for Stephen Kenny. So it's the Greeks... I think that we've got to be very careful with this, with this um, view because all the other teams had great teams. This is not a great team. We don't have great players in this team. 
Okay, so what Kenny has to do, he's playing a nice brand of football. Um, I think we'll be very lucky to get a playoff spot. I think we'll be really lucky. I think that, and if we don't get it, it'll be the end of the Kenny era, obviously, because as Roy said, he's got you know a, a bit more leniency than many other managers have got in that sense. But if you look at all the other tournaments we qualified, 88, you talked to us, Stuttgart, Italian 90. We had McGrath, we had Keane, you know, we had Brady. Look at Morocco reached the World Cup semi-final. Yeah, but Morocco are better than us, like. I mean, they're actually better than us. And also, they got a favourable, things worked out for them, but they're better than us at this point in time. I mean, I don't think, I, I think when we look at this Irish team, I think the big thing missing this Irish team, who's going to get goals? I look at it in my own... Evan Celtic. Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Evan Ferguson. But I look at my own... He's the new uh, Messiah, you know. I look at it with Chelsea. Really un, it's really unfair in him. I look at it with Chelsea, John, you know, okay? I'd love to have Harry Kane, because Chelsea would be really strong if they came. Chelsea can't score goals. Ireland have nobody who can score goals. And we, we talked about Robbie Keane, and, and like, he was a phenomenal goal scorer. But you, you made the McAteer, the, the, the Dutch game. Look how good Keane was in that game. I mean, you know, Roy Keane was world class. I mean, he was a world class player in that team. We have nobody world class. I mean, like, we have players right now who are, you know, in the championship, and we have a couple in the premiership. I mean, Ferguson is obviously is a great hope in that sense. So I don't buy this thing that, you know, about youth and, and, and everything else. I just don't believe that we have the talent right now. To win the group or come second, and a playoff would be a phenomenal achievement if we got through that. I think it's worth bearing in mind. I think we can use the talent thing as a bit of an excuse. Greece, who are in our group, won the Euros. Look at that team. Not only was there no superstar in it, there was no star. Those guys couldn't get games with big teams. When an international team comes together, I mean, the reality is now international football is vastly inferior to the Premier League. Four or five of the teams in the Premier League would have won the World Cup. So when we're looking at these international teams, we have to be careful in our analysis and saying we've no chance. I think if a team comes together, I talked about it with Vera Pau, I still think you can overachieve. I remember Brian Kerr's Ireland in France, running France ragged that time. And that was a team had better players than now, but didn't, didn't have an abundance of superstars. I think if a team gets together in a qualifier and sets a standard early and gets the national public behind them, that game against France is such a big game at the Aviva. Can you imagine if we go out when Martin O'Neill's Ireland beating Germany? If we could do something like that, it kickstarts the whole thing and anything's possible. Maura Trassa, how do you see it going for the men's team this year? I'd be leaning more toward uh, Timmy's point of view there. I think the reason the media have been, I suppose, and we use the words kind towards Stephen Kenny, I'm not sure it's kind. I just think it's objective and knowing the tools he has on his chessboard or the players he has on his chessboard. And they're not Roy Keane. They're not Robbie Keane. They're not even Jason McAteer. And that's not to do them down. It's just the standard that we got used to through that golden era of Irish football is just not there at the moment. And that's not Stephen Kenny's fault. It's not the player's fault. And we don't need to go into the discussion about how things were run for years. We know things are on, on the way to turn now. Are they going to turn in time for Stephen Kenny? Probably not. Now, could Ireland on a day like, you know, a good day go out and beat France? Of course they could. It's football. We saw it in the World Cup. Like when you're, anything can happen on a given day. But is it likely to happen? No. I think really what it's going to come down to is that a good show against Greece. To come in, to come in third, and that way then hopefully that, that shows that Stephen Kenny has done what he can with yeah. the players he has. I think that's the way it's going to go. I'd love to be wrong. Uh, I, I hope for one of those magical days that we've seen over the years. But if you're going to be realistic about it, 
No, it won't happen. But could it happen? Yes. Now, you may say she's just sitting on the fence here, but it's just because you okay. can't account for a feeling. Do you know what I mean, John? Yeah, sure. we just got to take a break. More trusting you, Callie. Roy Curtis, Timmy McCarthy on the Saturday panel, the first one of 2023, previewing the year. Get in touch, folks, on 53106, the text number at a cost of 30 cent with your predictions for 2023. We're back after the news. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five on the first show of 2023. You can text us 53106 or tweet us at Off the Ball. The part two of the Saturday panel now. We're chatting to the Sunday World Sports writer Roy Curtis, the former Irish team basketball captain and coach Timmy McCarthy, and the accredited sports psychologist and broadcaster Maura Trassini Cali about the year ahead. 53106. We'll get to some texts in a moment just to bring you up to date on the scores in the FA Cup. Uh, Harry Kane, we were speaking about him before too, has scored for Tottenham 1-0. They lead Portsmouth well into the second half in the third round tie in North London. It is Reading 1, Watford 0. Preston 2, Huddersfield 10-1. Gillingham 0, Leicester City 1. Kelechi Iheanacho on the mark. And Crystal Palace 1, Southampton 2. The Saints going in front now with goals from James Ward-Prowse and Adam Armstrong. On predictions, New York to win their first ever match in the scenes in the Bronx and Manhattan to be unbelievable, says one of our texters. They play Leitrim in the Connacht Championship. That is definitely a possibility. Good text there. Another one on the Rugby World Cup. Um, history means a lot in these tournaments. In Ireland, we've got a very poor history in the Rugby World Cup. Even Scotland have reached the semi-final. All we hear before the next World Cup is Ireland have won a test series in New Zealand. If Ireland played New Zealand in the World Cup 10 times in a row, you'd bet on New Zealand 10 times. They know how to win in big games and big situations, and so do the other big nations. Until Ireland can prove that they can perform on these big platforms, it'll always be held against them. They must step up now. I hope they can, but I doubt it, says Niall in Dublin. More trusting you, Caddy, if you were the Taoiseach, what would you like to see change in Irish sport or what would you be allocating funds towards or the one thing you would, you'd have a magic wand to change if you could? Uh, the one thing, if I had a magic wand to change, uh, it's twofold. One, that every child in the country has access to a pair of boots or runners, a football or a hurl that it's given to them. There's so many children out there who are so disadvantaged and underprivileged, they don't even have those basics. And that they would also have access to play, to run around, to roam. We saw this during lockdown when kids were locked up in housing estates, flats, apartments. It's not there. And then the second prong of that that I would do, that I would fund appropriate coaching for children. There's still far too many coaches out there who are living through their own failed dreams through these child protégés, abusing and bullying children. They're not the right people to be looking after them. Unfortunately, sometimes there's nobody else to take up that mantle. And then you see, if you break that relationship with physical activity and sport at that age, it is very difficult to get those kids back as adults. We need to start seeing sport and physical activity as something from cradle to grave, not just for the people who happen to be good at under 14 football. We're not there yet. I think funding would help a lot with that. I think, in fairness, the previous teacher we had, Michal Martin, I think got that. I think Leo Varadkar may get it, perhaps not as much, but the, you know that's just me, I suppose, uh, going to stereotype there based on what we see about him on social media and his views, this, that and the other. But I think, for example, Jack Chambers, who was a previous minister for sport, and I think Thomas Byrne is there now. There are people who get it. Whether they get the funding is another thing. It's a generational change. If I had a magic wand, that's exactly what I'd be changing. Focus on the kids. It's too late for us. Get the next generation. Yeah, and there are great coaches as well out there as well. Um, there are, but unfortunately, there's a lot who aren't. And yeah. we have to acknowledge that. And we see it in clubs up and down the country. I see it. I mean, Jesus, you go to games every weekend. You see minors, um, underage children being abused on the sideline, as well by parents as well, by the way. It's an attitude that we all need to change. And I think that comes from the bottom up. That, that maybe we're too competitive in attitude. Um, no, we're than... not. We're just uneducated when it comes yeah. to physical activity. Okay. Roy, what would you, if you're the mayor... I'd like the culture of paranoia amongst 
GA management teams to ebb and disappear. I think we, I say this as a huge GA fan, I think we have an extraordinary group of players who are caged, their personalities caged. They're not allowed to speak publicly outside of PR events which are fluffy and have nothing to them. Or the press day, maybe. Well, even the press days. My colleague Sean McGoldrick um, did a piece this uh, on 2022. He had one interview with one player. One interview with one player. The GAA are competing with soccer and rugby for the next generation. Kids gravitate toward heroes. Why is it that we related to Messi at the World Cup? Why is it we relate to Johnny Sexton? Why is it we so engage with Shane Lowry? We know their backstory. They've opened the windows to their personality and let us see them. I know personally a lot of inter-county footballers and hurlers. If I didn't know them personally, I'd have no access to what their personalities are. There are a fabulous array, a rainbow of personalities out there. It's a brilliant way to market the game, but also it's a great way for us to see these people and appreciate who they are. If you think of, I don't know, Limerick have won four of the last five All-Irelands. 90% of the people in this country would know very little about any of those players. And I think that's, that's a crying shame. I want to meet these players. I want to know them because they are superstars of our culture. If, we, if a manager is trusting a guy to perform in front of 75,000 or 80,000 people, how can he possibly believe that talking in an interview, that relating to the people in front of them, will suddenly inhibit performance? Or be used by the opposition? There's, I've, I've just finished reading a book. It's, it's actually about the collapse of America. The monarchy of fear, it's called. Let's bring down that monarchy of fear. Gianluca Vialli, Lord rest him, had this line, don't dare compare football with war. It's a game amongst friends. He famously, before his first game as Chelsea player manager, handed out champagne to the players. I'm not suggesting anybody hands out champagne to players. But the point I'm making is, we sometimes treat sport like this extraordinarily serious business. And elite athletes want to be the very best they can be. But let's not pretend that these things are a barrier to performance. I don't believe they are. And I think there's a huge opportunity being missed. I was just counting since the last inter-county game, Manchester United and Liverpool have played a combined 50 competitive games, most of them televised. Leinster and Munster have played the guts of 30 games, almost all of them televised. Let's get these guys out there. They're great athletes. They're really good guys and the girls as well. They can carry themselves brilliantly on a field. They can carry themselves brilliantly off. Let's see them. Timmy, if you're the mayor... Yeah, can I be the Taoiseach? Because you actually said more Trasta could be the Taoiseach. Okay. And you want to be, be the Taoiseach in this country? And, 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 <laughs> and it'll be the third time Cork at a Taoiseach. So. Okay. Uh, I'd like to see stadiums be used in a municipal way. So I'd like to see the, the, the stadiums be used for the, for the sport that it demands. I thought the Parky Keeve having the South African game was a great sporting occasion. In respect of the game, though, I thought it was a great sporting occasion. So I'd like us to be looking and say, you know, Katie Taylor would hopefully fight in Croke Park, for example. Um, so I'd like us, us to be seeing, and particularly the GA grounds, that they would be used for other sporting events that would require the attendance that, that this, the GA grounds can provide. Do you think you could get 20,000 a week for Cork City fans to Porky Creeve? I don't think you could get 20,000 a week, but I think you definitely could get games where you would get 20,000. I, I can remember going to Flower Lodge with my late father, Garrison Soul, who Roy would have known really well. Um, 
And I was at the game when 1972, I was a young kid, um, Cork played Waterford. Cork Hibernians played Waterford. The following week they played them in Dalymore Park in the cup final. There was 25,000 people in Flower Lodge. There was 20, on a Sunday afternoon at a 3.30 kickoff. So I do believe that there are certain games in the League of Ireland and there are certain games in the rugby environment that demand bigger venues than, for example, um, Towan Park. In a, in a Munster sense, obviously the Aviva is available in Dublin. I would love to see a situation where, where the, the, the best grounds are used to facilitate the, the numbers. So, for example, take the women's soccer. Okay? They, they may be able to fill you know, local regional GA grounds with 30,000 people. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Okay? Instead of having them out in Tala and with 6,000 people. And, you know, we might get them to the Aviva and we might get 6,000 or 16,000. I guarantee but if we play England the Aviva in a, say, a, no, we could meet them in the World Cup, but if we played them in, a, in the pre-World Cup match, we'd, I, I, we'd go close to filling the Aviva. And because of the bandwagon effect and because people then want to belong to this and they want to, oh, this is now a hot thing, so let's go to this thing. And one of the things I found, John, is that we, uh, we're a sporting country, you know, and, and we love sport of all different sports in that sense. And we all have views on all sports, irrespective of our expertise in, this, in those sports. But we love international sports. We love the fact that we can all get together to shout for our country when we're playing, you know, other countries in that sense. And I, that's why I think that, unfortunately, GA is not international. It's a, it's a domestic sport. It's our national sport, obviously, in that sense. But I do believe that having, the, having a concept of the arenas are available for events that require them, I think it would be a really big successful move if we could have that on a more, instead of asking a favour of Porky Kiva or a favour of Croke Park, if it just became part and parcel. And I understand the GA have built the stadiums, they've invested in the stadiums, and they deserve all the credit for that. But there was state funding as well. We should never forget the fact that there was state funding in a lot of these uh, developments over the years. So a municipality approach to the availability of stadiums would be something I would definitely be encouraging if I was a third cock Taoiseach. I think the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight at Crow Park, if and when it happens, will really bring that point home. This is going to be one of those generational, national coming together moments that Timmy talks about. It'll be a celebration of, of Katie, though. I mean, it's, it's, it's Kenzie, Katie's this immense, the arc of an immense sporting life, you know, arriving at its ultimate capstone. Um, there, there's a line Joe Biden used in his inauguration, which was borrowed of all pe- from of all people, Saint Augustine, um, who talked about a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. Can you imagine a May Day in Crow Park, eighty thousand people there, Katie coming out? I mean, it'll be it'll be a moment that'll be at the very apex of anything we've seen in Irish sport. And as you say, it'll be a celebration of somebody who's given so much to this country, who's done so much for women's sport and for women, and who really, boxing, we've, we've been fed so much glory by boxing, but most of it's happened far away. Here's a chance to come out and just feel that sense of euphoria, which I think it really would be, wash over the nation. Magic way to start the summer. More trusting you, Kelly. You were at Madison Square Garden for Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano. So if we're asking uh, the panel here, the one thing you want to see in 2023, I'm a gambling man. I'm going to gamble. That might be the one, More trusting. Oh, absolutely. I'm there in my head already chanting, Katie, Katie. It was it was a magical evening in Madison Square Garden. I've said it before. It's possibly gone down as the best sporting event I have ever been to it was goosebumps it was tingly it was there were people around me in tears there was crying there was laughter there was drinks going in the air and that was Madison Square Garden and it's funny now when you watch them on social media you see Amanda Serrano is getting a bit bolder you know she's liking comments and people say Serrano won that fight that was a close call for Katie Taylor 
So there's a part of me who really wants this fight to happen. I really want to be there. I want to be there shouting along. But there's a part of me too afraid that it might just not work out the way the fairy tale ending we all want for Katie Taylor. And that I suppose that's the great bite, isn't it? If, we're, if that fight happens, we're going to go in there and we're going to love and support our Katie Taylor. But we also know this is not going to be any fight that's going to be handed to her. She's going to have to work and earn it and you're kind of always wondering you know is she at the top for a peak yet do we know has she reached the top do we know what her top is does she know when to stop do we know when to tell her to stop you know and it was so exciting and to bring that to croke park I, i don't have the words to describe it it would just be so magical it possibly like roy said it would be a sporting event of a generation who else i'm not sure who else could sell out crow park and you know if the tickets went on sale right now they'd be gone in two minutes and it would just be like katie is such a wonderful human being she's so likable despite the fact that when you think about what she does she's deadly and everybody loves her everybody wants a piece of her everybody admires her especially the journey she's been on it would be a fitting end i just hope that if it happens and all the sound all the noises seem to be that it will that she gets the fairy tale ending that we all want for her as well. Uh, five three one zero six. Uh, Damien Duff has caught the imagination of non-league uh, of Ireland followers that uh, always turn to their UK teams. Damien is one of our legends, and the FAI should consider getting other legends like him with coaching badges, managing League of Ireland teams. I couldn't agree with more with the guest. Uh, they can't even watch my County Kildare in Wexford or today is not televised. Salt of the earth. These players, when it comes to sports, schools are for educating, but it's very bad. In a lot of schools, punishment is missing. PE can't afford that prehistoric approach when we have so many serious health issues. I was asking the panel and the listeners what they'd like to see change in Irish sport in twenty. 23 and uh, hi I would love to see the men's rugby team storm through the World Cup but for our side of the draw is stacked it highlights the ridiculous nature of setting the seedings so far in advance of the tournament I fear a fired up South Africa team will be too strong for us in the group stage then I think a potential matchup against France and New Zealand might just be a step too far hope I'm wrong though says Jim on 53106 and then you'd love to go and see Timmy McCarthy this year or to recommend uh, any listener out there something you should you should always try and get to as a sports fan so I'm hoping and planning to go to Augusta and I'm hoping to see Shane Laurie win the Masters. Wow. And I really believe that... First time, would it be first time in Augusta? First time in Augusta. And uh, I really believe he's the game for it. I really believe he's the game for it. I think that, you know, if he's at the top of his game and obviously it's, you know, you have to be at the top of your game for those four days. I do believe that he is the game to win around Augusta in that sense. So, um, uh, that's 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 my go-to moment in this year from the point of view of uh, what what I want. That's my bucket list for 2023. What's your bucket list, Roy? Well, funny, Shane and Augusta was one I was going to say because he is such a beloved character. I don't re- remember a guy who's come along and remained such an everyman while achieving these towering deeds. People relate to him in a way. Maura Trassa talked about the Katie Taylor fact and the way everybody loves her. Everybody loves Shane Lowry, but it's not sort of one of these, ah, he's a nice guy, but he doesn't do it when he gets into the arena. I mean, the way he won, the way he came back... I don't think I have ever been more invested in a sporting event than I was amongst the Sandhills of Portrush. If I'd have been playing, I wouldn't have been as emotional as I was watching him. His grit, his brilliance on the Saturday, his grit at the first hole on the Sunday, and then that walking up the 18th, it felt like a procession for every Irish man and woman, I thought. So that would be right up there for me. I'd love to see... Dublin with their additions having another go at Clifford's Kerry. I think if and when that happens, we'll get to that in a moment. It'll, yeah. it'll be immense, and it, it, an, an international or one that Timmy would relate to. Boston Celtics. We're both basketball people. 
were the giants of the Larry Bird era that I grew up on. They've only won one NBA title in the last 35 years. They're flying in at the moment. Game seven in the Boston Garden in the NBA Finals will be some ticket. Yeah, that's... uh Folks, you know what to do. Uh, if you if you got a, a bit of spare cash and uh, you know you want to fulfil those bucket list things, but even like going to your local club can be a bucket list thing if they win a big game. But on that, Timmy, um, you, you feel that Shane Larry might win a major? Can Rory win a major? Will Leona Maguire? Will they win majors this year? Do you think in golf? So I think it's about four years ago. Now I was sitting here um, and I was there was a conversation about Rory at the time. How many more majors he would win? And the other guests were saying three and four and five. And I said at the time he'd be lucky to win one more. That's four or five years ago. And I still have that view. I still have the view that... Not even after 2022, being the top of the world, like taking on Liv, doing everything but winning a major? Well, taking on Liv is irrelevant in the end of the day. Taking on Liv is just a... But did it not kind of uh, galvanise him and get his focus back a bit? Well, I think it galvanised him in the sense of, of, of the, the PGA Tour and, and his responsibilities as, as a, sp- a spokesperson for the PGA Tour. But as regards the, the majors in, in 2022, okay... Um, he never did it. I mean, he, he was second in Augusta, but he was out of it. I mean, Rory has, if you look at Rory clinically, okay, he has been played out of the majors in the last five years. And on the Sunday, in many majors, when he's out of it, and he's a freedom, he then has a great round and he, he, he gets the second or third or fourth or fifth. And that's it. So if Rory's to win a major, I think the Open is his best chance, okay, if he's to win a major. But I do believe that... Um, Shane Laurie is capable of winning a major, and I also believe Leon McGuire will win a major this year. I think that her progression is one, again, that has been under the radar, because you know, if you take the Salem Cup out of it, because she was phenomenal in the Salem Cup, her progression has just been, you know, she's almost there, she wins, she won this year, or last year in America for the first time, but it hasn't been as dramatic as Rory's progression, you know, when he came onto the scene at the start, there was a big expectation. I think, you know, I believe she'll win a major this year. Uh, as I said, if Laurie's game is right, Augustus, his best But not Rory. I, I not, th- Rory. I, not Rory for me. I think you can, you can make a legitimate argument that this is the biggest season of Rory McIlroy's career. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. Um, because he has talent that borders on the supernatural, because of the w- way he got himself back up to the top rung of the ladder last year, but because it's so long since he won a major, 32 majors since he won in 2014. At that stage, after that in Valhalla, Jack Nicklaus talked about a guy who could win 15 to 20 majors. Timmy is absolutely right. He has 17 top 10s in majors since then. But he comes from nowhere on the final day so often. We judge Rory by different standards, and rightfully so, because the yardstick of greatness, the metric of the immortals, is how you fare in major tournaments. Forget about DP Tour. Forget about FedEx Cup. They're wonderful achievements, but they're not career-defining achievements for the true greats. Tiger Woods, the only thing he cared about was majors. And Tiger Woods had won 14 of his 15 majors by the time he was 34. Rory turns 34 in May. He had a glorious chance to win the British Open this year. He didn't. You could argue he bottled it. In 2018, he went out in the last group with Patrick Reed. He had, a, he had the worst uh, final round of anybody there. I admired Rory the way he stood up to live. I also think it's utterly irrelevant. I think he's an eminently decent guy. I think that stuff I talked about, about opening your soul to people, he answers questions honestly. I got a lot of grief a couple of years ago for saying he'll never win another major. I don't think he will ever win another major. Right, okay. More trust in you, Callie. What I am pretty certain about this year, Leona Maguire is the real deal. 
uh, the way she's been like the way she played the British Open last year at uh, that Solheim Cup rookie performance uh, she is now 11th in the world there's only one way she's going and that's the top for me she's got five chances this year in the women's major she'll win one in my mind because she has the mentality for it do you agree with that uh, Mortrasa and do you agree with what uh, Timmy and Roy have said about Rory um, I, I, I suppose I do um, I think correct me if I'm wrong I think she's had three top ten finishes in the last two years when you talk about Leona the, the, the route the pathway is more open and more direct for her than I would say than it is for Rory McIlroy through no fault of her own it's just he has more competition to contend with at the moment than she does and she's younger and she has more time so you would say yes this is her year she's she's progressing nicely so I think it would be you would be doing her a disservice if you didn't say this is the year she's going to absolutely break through for sure for Rory McIlroy I think it's slightly different and you mentioned the age when he's 34 and you can do the comparison with Tiger Woods I suppose the difference is maybe Rory McIlroy obviously isn't Tiger Woods thankfully a lot of people would say and I think maybe for Rory and again this is me a whole pile of conjecture I don't know the man at all and I don't know him from Adam but for me it feels that he had to discover who he was as a person what his ideals were, what he stood for before he was able to kind of refocus back on his golf and find himself and find his golfing ability. We saw over the years, like the various Ferraris, like playing golf with Donald Trump, all that kind of stuff. And then this year, stepping up and saying, no, Liv is wrong. And it appears to me that he's more honest than ever in his interviews, but he's less black and white. He's more gray. He's more circumspect. And I think that shows a new maturity to him as a person, to him as a man. And that's coming through with him as a golfer. And if he's to follow that path, I would say, therefore, this could be the year that he could finally do his, I suppose, a second breakthrough in, in golfing in history, to be honest. I, I think it's absolutely very possible. He could end, end his major famine this year with a, with a win at the Masters. I think he could. And um, there's no reason why he can't. Um, it's just, I feel it's a little less direct than it would be for the likes of Leona Maguire at the moment, which is no, which is no um, bad reflection on him. It's just the pool he's in at the moment is very deep and very talented. But I think he has the wherewithal, the mentality to do it for sure. 53106, Seamus Power, his consistency could him win a big title, says Jim and Shannon. You told me off air, um, Timmy McCarthy, you also agree with that? I agree with that. I believe that um, for me, that's what I'd love to see. Seamus Power. I think Seamus Power's journey is an incredible journey. I think that, you know, sometimes we look at these guys when they win, you know, a million dollars or 1.2 million dollars and we just take for granted that they're all winning it. Like, like he was in the bottom of the barrel. Like, I mean, he couldn't afford to enter tournaments at one point in time in his career. Okay, he'd get money from his friend to enter a tournament uh, on the basis that if he won money, he could pay it back. I mean, this guy slept in cars. Like, this guy's journey from, you know, a, a college career where he was a very really talented player to the pro circuit has been the most difficult of any Irish player in, in, in the context who has made it ultimately to the top journey. And I think that that experience, that grit, that determination um, will really stand to him. I also think as well, he's in the, he's in the 20s now in, in, in the world rankings in that sense. When you think where he's come from is incredible. I think he's got the game. You know, Maura Trasta talked about Rory at Augusta. I'm not sure Rory's short game, particularly his putting. Rory's a streaky putter. So you know, I, I remember getting a stat years ago uh, when himself, Thomas Speed, and Jason Day were in the top four or five in the world, that from tee to green over four days, he had an eight-shot advantage on those guys. And on the green, they had a 12-shot advantage over him. Okay, So if Rory's putting and short game stands up in any golf course, with his driving and long game ability, he's practically unbeatable. But it's more streaking at us. Where Seamus Power is solid in every single department. I was watching the other night in Honolulu, and even though he's not winning, he's in the top 10 or top 12, He's just so solid in, in, in his execution. And there's a consistency that he has in his game. And as, as somebody who loves golf, 
I watch his journey, I watch his, what he's got here, and he values what he has. So I do believe a major is within his capability this year. Um, I think Rory wins two majors this year. There you go. So, <laughs> so two, zero, one, and Maura has one. So I think Woods has helped Rory. I think um, on the QT, as my sense, I think he's given him the mantle. And I think that I would agree with you, Roy. This is the biggest uh, year of his career. So he either, it's either make or break for Rory. Um, Maura Trassa, you were involved with Galway last year a little bit in the football. Um, how do you see 2023 from a football perspective? Is it Dublin and Kerry and then the rest a bit behind? Or do you see hope for the likes of Galway, for Derry, for Armagh, these counties? Are the dubs coming back now with all the players um, returning Mannion and McCaffrey to, to challenge Kerry this year? Well, there's always hope. That's the beauty of this time of year. Every team from the All-Ireland winners to those who finish in Division 4 start off this time of year with hope. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. Um, I think you would be a fool to deviate from the, the big two, the big pillars, which would be Dublin and Kerry. Um, I think Tyrone will want to, have say, to say something about that. But I just think the prospect of Jack McCaffrey coming back to Dublin and then taking on Kerry's David Clifford and... Will Galway kick on, of course, as a Gaul region? I hope they do. I think Armagh have still space in the tank. We have a re- we have a revitalised county down. Nobody's saying anything about Conor Laverty. And you may say, well, that's far too big a hurdle. But I think they'll have something to say about the championship as of yet. The talent was always there. It just wasn't coming through. There's so much. But when you look even back through history, like the Tyrone and Kerry history, I would be leaning toward... Tyrone possibly being in the business end of things coming to the end. There's too much in their tank for sure. They had an abysmal year last year. They didn't manage the break very well. They say that themselves. They just didn't do it right. Um, they found new players. They were playing the McKenna Cup there earlier this week. Um, I think it's it's going to be an exciting football championship, but more than likely on the balance of probabilities, we'll probably come down to an All-Ireland final. We'll be asking who's going to win this. Will it be Jack McCaffrey or will it be David Clifford? And who? Oh, I would go for Dublin. Okay. Now, Roy, you were pretty well known as a Dublin fan. And have you got hope now that the boys are back in town and uh, Kerry can be challenged? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Paul Mannion and Jack McCaffrey, both of whom, when they last played for Dublin, were amongst the best five players in the country. So you have that straight away. But there's two other huge additions. Con O'Callaghan, who is probably the closest thing Dublin have to David Clifford, didn't play in that game against Kerry last year which was decided by a brilliant long-range free from Shani O'Shea. Pat Gilroy is back. I wouldn't underestimate. Gilroy, if you talk to the players... Would that work with Desi Farrell? Well, if they have clearly defined roles, I didn't see Stuart Lancaster and Leo Cullen necessarily working together. I think Gilroy came in in 2009 when Dublin were all over the shop in many ways. And he got... He, he got rid of all the nonsense. He is a leader of men who demands that players behave in a certain fashion. And if there's any, if there was any, I've talked to a number of players in the Dublin setup, and some of them sort of intimated there was a, a nature of being jaded, perhaps, which is entirely understandable. I mean, to win six All Irelands in a row. But I think he's the man that will root out any sense of complacency that was there. And obviously that would go anyway with what's happened in the last couple of years. I think it was a brave move by Desi. I think it shows that they're putting all the eggs in the basket this year. I think James McCarthy's captaincy, James McCarthy to me is the pillar of all Dublin achieved. He's, and his captaincy, I think he may have been instrumental as well. The respect that Mannion and Jack McCaffrey hold him in 
I think was critical to their return. Clifford scripted something immortal last year. The sequel is obviously going to be hugely interesting. I think Kerry could kick on because the weight is off them. I think they'll need to. You look around the rest, and I mean, I, I was so impressed with Galway last year, and that spine of Daly, McDade, Comer, um, Walsh really gave them something. And they didn't freeze in the big day in Crow Park, and I think that's so important in terms of coming back next year. Liam McHale be a good friend of mine, great um, foe of Timmy on the, on the basketball court for years. He's come in with Kevin McStay, and I'd love to see Mayo do something. I fear the time has gone. Derry's achievement last year in Ulster was phenomenal. It's the 30th anniversary of the Anthony Toll Joe Brolly team this year. But they need to be more attack-minded, I think, if they're to take the next step forward. As Maura Trass has said, I think Tyrone are a really interesting one. They had an awful year last year. Can they bounce back? Rory Canavan comes into that team. He looks like a sensational player. Scored Clifford-like scores in the under-20 final. But logically, you look at it, and you're thinking Dublin and Kerry, if they perform to their ultimate, are a good bit ahead of the rest. And is it Dublin, just one word? Yes. And to me, football... so from a football point of view, I think the Dublin return of you know Mannion and, and McCaffrey is very interesting because they're out of the game for a while. So I think you know we we've got to be careful and, and you know what you're getting back. You know you're not getting back the guys that left a couple of years. Well, ago. I suppose you're getting Mannion as a, as a player who's been playing regularly for his club. Yeah, but there, there is a difference. I mean, playing for your club with respect and playing for you know on the inter county. So it'll be interesting how they adjust back. That, that that I think that'll be the big challenge for, for Dublin and that's. I think the Conor Callan point is a very important point. Though. I think Conor Callan is a serious talent and. Um, was lost. I believe that um, from a Munster point of view, I think John Cleary will do a good job at Cork, but Kerry will, will be too strong in, in Munster from that point of view. I think in the West, I think Galway um, will win the West. I think that Mayo probably with this team are at the, 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 the wrong end of the hill, and I think that it'll take Liam and, and Kevin a couple of years to, to, to get the Mayo situation back to where they'd like to have it in that sense. I think the North, it, it could be anywhere, but I think, you know, again, Moritras and, and Roy's point about Tyrone definitely will look to recover that and Derry. Um, and Leinster will be Dublin, there's no doubts in that. But I do believe at the end of the day that Kerry will win. I think Kerry were the best team in the country last year. I think that in that semi-final, that Kerry basically became afraid to win at the end of the game. And that happens most teams. They, they, they're playing so well, and then all of a sudden the prize is in place. And if you've never won the prize, and they hadn't won the prize for a long period of time, you know, when I'm coaching, I'm talking about you know, express yourself, and, okay? You know, just perform, okay? But sometimes what happens, the fear of losing took over and I think Kerry in the last period of time of that game started, were afraid to lose a bit like in 82 and they dropped back and back or and 2011 out. for the Dubs needed or, to come or, through that same thing start yeah, and, and, and it's just the fear of losing overcomes and you know from, from a sports psychology point of view it's to break that down in that sense so so I do believe that the um, Dublin would be better there's no doubt with the guys back it'll be interesting to see how much better they are in that sense but for me the winner of the Ireland will be Kerry I think Kerry are be- were better last year I think the fact they've got over it uh, the hill will make them better this year and I just think at the end of the day they've got the best footballers Kerry have got the best footballers in, in, in the country and they've got the standout player with, with, with Clifford so for me uh, if it is a Kerry Dublin final I expect Kerry to get over the line We've got results from the FA Cup Tottenham have beaten Portsmouth 1-0 Harry Kane on the mark Reading 2 Watford 0 Preston 3 Huddersfield 1 Gillingham 0 Leicester 1 and Crystal Palace 1 Southampton 2 a result 
a boost for the Saints. They needed that. March Hassini Cali, I don't think Limerick are going to win the hurling. I think they've completed hurling. They have nothing to prove. Um, it's always there or thereabouts. They tough matches against Kilkenny and Galway last year. Maybe it might be somebody else's turn. Do you agree or do you think Limerick are on their way towards potentially five in a row by winning the four in a row this year? I think Dublin have shown that four and five in a row is very possible and can easily happen. Well, easily is the wrong word because obviously they didn't they didn't earn them easily. But you know what I mean? It, it is possible. Um, I think, though, this year maybe that the Galway game in particular and Kilkenny in the All-Ireland final and even Clare actually in the Munster final, they, they made Limerick look a little bit more mortal than we thought they were. However, last year Limerick did not have Keane Lynch for the vast majority of their campaign. You'd be hoping this year they'll have him. You know they found more players. John Kiley's a winner. He has his dressing room exactly where he wants them. They're all very competitive. So it's Limerick's to lose. It'll be hard won. I do think if anyone's going to beat them, I think it could possibly be Galway. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm from the county. I just think the way they play, they're very physical. They're strong men. They're able to stand up to the physicality that Limerick can bring them. And they also have the hurling know-how. But I think the dark horse might be Davy Fitzgerald and Waterford. We know the bounce he brings first year round with the team. We know Waterford have a talented team. I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if we came around to whenever the All-Irelands be played this year. I think is it early early August. Um, if we come to an All-Ireland final, it could be Waterford and Limerick in the All-Ireland final. But at the moment, I have it's far too early to say, but I haven't seen anything to say that Limerick will not be winning four in a row. July 23rd, hurling final. Uh, fascinating sideline situation this year, Roy Curtis. Michal Donoghue involved in the Walsh Cup uh, with Dublin today. Uh, he's uh, with them now. We have Liam Catlin, Tipperary, Dave Fitzgerald, as Moritz has said, at Waterford. Uh, Pat Ryan now in Cork. It's uh, interesting. And who is going to come out on top? I have a sneaking suspicion for Waterford. I, I wouldn't underestimate the Davy factor. I know on the sideline at times he can look as agitated as Lear on the Heath. But he is a brilliant, innovative coach, in my view. His record of impact, immediate impact, is extraordinary. Waterford 2008, All-Ireland final. Clare in 2013, the only All-Ireland they've won other than his playing days since 1914. He wins Wexford a first Leinster title in 15 years. Waterford were league champions less than 12 months ago. Thumped Cork in the final. Liam Cahill had a team that really seemed to be going places. They've guys like Austin Gleeson, Tyg de Burka, Desi Hutchinson. They have a huge amount of talent. And it, it's, it's funny, I'm, I'm torn on the Limerick thing. I think they're vulnerable. And then I look at the key players and Grode Hegarty is 28, Kyle High is 24 or 25, Sean Finn 26, Dermot Burns 28. And Moritras's point about Keane Lynch, I think, is really significant. This guy was the best hurler in the country. This is the equivalent in Premier League terms of having a 150 million midfield playmaker come in. So Limerick are still going to be hard to beat, even though when you look at what happened last year in the Munster final, Clare, in the All-Ireland semi-final, Galway and in the final Kilkenny there were only a puck of a ball ahead of each of those teams the ones we haven't mentioned and a really interesting one and Timmy as a coach it'll be interesting to hear his view on it Kilkenny Brian Cody has gone Derek Ling Derek Ling comes in yeah um look what happened to David Moyes after Alex Ferguson I think Ling is a far more substantial character than that Timmy and Cork as well Timmy Pat Ryan yeah, and Pat Ryan is bringing in some new talent. I mean, Finbar's won the, the county uh, for the first time in 30 years, so, you know, and they've unearthed some nice players. Joe Cunningham's son is a really talented player. So, Cork, you know, 
Corcoran transition, but there's no doubt that you know they've got enough talent on a good day to challenge anybody in that sense. It's Limerick's to lose, let's be very clear. It's Limerick's to lose. But Limerick are vulnerable. And I felt Limerick, I felt two years ago when Cork played them in the All-Ireland final, I was very confident Cork would beat them. I really was confident and they, they trounced Cork in the day. So to me, um, I think Cork will be better this year. Um, I don't, I'm not as convinced about Waterford. I think that Waterford, you know, had that shot and, and so I'm not as convinced. I need a Davy Bounce will be interesting because he's returning. The bounce is different when you return. It's, you know, if he's going for the first time. Um, I think Kilkenny will be very interesting. I think that De- Derek Ning is a really serious appointment by Kilkenny. I think that you know, his success on the rage, um, what he brings to the party, I think, would be really interesting. So to me, if anyone's going to knock Limerick off the throne in 2023, Kilkenny will be my bet. Now, ladies football on Camogie, Timmy. Will Cork win the Camogie? Very close last year. Cork will win the Camogie and Meadle win it three in a row. Right. With even Eamon Murray gone and everything. Yep. What about you, Roy, and the ladies well, football Camogie? I think... There's been major upheaval in May in, in Mead. Not only Eamon Murray stepping down, part of the backroom team moving over to Colm O'Rourke, a, a mini exodus to Australia. I thought it was promising that that Vicky Wall guaranteed that she'd be coming back despite going to North Melbourne. And she's obviously a key figure in the team. I I still think they're the team to beat. Um Dublin were shocked by Donegal in the quarter final last year, had contested the previous eight finals. I think they'll come. Um, could Cork get back to where they were? I'm, I'm, I'm still of a belief that there may be another blast in Mead. Okay, and for the Camogie, briefly? Well, there's very little between the big three. I mean, yeah. if you look at how close Cork pushed Galway in um, the league final and then Kilkenny right to the brink in what was a classic final, I have a sneaking suspicion it might be Rebels. And Mar Trassa, Camogie and ladies football this year? Camogie going on a hunch just looking uh, Roy mentioned they're the big three I think Kilkenny they just look to be far superior of the the following pack and it's really interesting to watch how Galway and Kilkenny have gone neck and neck over previous years and if Cork have slightly fallen back after laying down the standard for so long Cork will be back but I'm not sure it's this year I think there might be another year off it I, I'm open to be wrong uh, when it comes to football, it's absolutely wide open, which is what makes the Ladies Football Championship such an amazing championship. It still needs to lose. They have the talent. The talent is coming back. It doesn't disappear overnight, despite the change in management. I think Dublin will have something to say about it. It'll be really interesting to watch uh, the involvement of Kerry. Will they continue doing what they did last year? Nobody expects them to go as far as they did. They have the likes of Louise Newickerthy, who's in there. She's like you were talking earlier about having that wonderful footballer who can come in and change the trajectory of a team. She's there for Kerry. Will they be able to move it on? I don't know. Of all the championships, it is the one that I am least able to put my finger on who I think is the likely winner. Um, and in which case... I still don't know. I was thinking about this. It's the one actually I struggled most about. I was thinking about it last night as well. And maybe that's because I'm too involved. I'm involved in the Galway backroom team as well for the ladies. So maybe that's why I'm too near the treat to understand who might win it. But I just think neither are the ones to beat. They've laid down the mantle of having a team of wonderful footballers, great sportsmanship, great camaraderie. And yeah, they're still the ones to beat. Um, are they beatable? Absolutely. Everyone is, including Limerick and Hurling. But I just think at the moment, me, they're the ones, uh, especially with the likes of Vicky coming back, Emma Duggan, oh my God, what a footballer, what county wouldn't love to have her. But I think if any team is going to show it to them, I think possibly Dublin. Last year was a bad year for them. Um, there's far too much yeah. talent for that kind of thing to happen again this year. We've had fun over the last hour or so with Maura Trassa, Nicali, Roy Curtis and Timmy McCarthy looking ahead to 2023. Maura Trassa, I hope it doesn't take too long to get that tree down. <laughs> 
Uh, I know I've all day tomorrow penciled in now to take down all my decorations. I just, I couldn't face it today. I'm just going to look at them. I'm going to make them a cup of tea and just enjoy looking at them. Like I said, January is long enough. I've no choice. I have to do dry January because I'm very pregnant at the moment. But I'm telling you, come February, people just deliver the champagne, all the soft cheese, everything that I haven't been able to have for the last nine months, laureate into me. I can't wait. Okay, well, the best of luck, Maura Trasser, for 2023. Thank you. And Roy and Timmy, the best to you and yours. And I hope you have a great year in sport. Thank you very much, John. Thanks, John. Great to be here. The more you play with people, the more you get used to their position, you get used to their movements, and obviously you build chemistry. Did it take long to build the chemistry with Shane Walsh, then? No, didn't take long at all. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts.